Hey guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have a bastard of an episode for you guys today. That's all I know. That's, 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 that's it. That's it. That's all I know. I have virtually no information per usual, so we'll just hang out with Jake. And yeah, I, I as been... you guys ride around in your car wondering what the F Jake is talking about, so have, is Chris. We are we are rowing the same boat. Yes, yeah. you are experiencing it yeah. there with Chris. Yep. So I'm going to tell a chilling story of an infamous cultural icon. Okay, okay. So we're going to start back in the 1920s. That's when one Winton Dean was a farmer from Indiana, said to have belonged to... Where's that name now? Winton. Winton? Yeah, I haven't seen a Winton it's in a maybe, long time. Maybe when they were doing the birth certificate at the at the uh, at the hospital, they forgot yeah. the S. Maybe it was supposed to be Winston. Oh yeah, because I was I, singing the cigarettes, but that is Winston, not Winston. Winton. Yeah, I've had yeah, I've had pets named Winston. Yeah, so it, that's it's right. Like, it, it is like they forgot. That the is S. a cool name though. Yeah, Winston's good. Well, Winton, uh, he was a farmer from Indiana, and his like claim, like everyone has like a claim in their biography. Everybody was a farmer back then. Well. Yes. Yeah, there was a lot of space. Legitimately, there was like farming was a big, now it's, there's less and less, but at the time. Yeah, well, now was, it's all like commercial right. is where it's going. But like. You're not when, a farmer, you work on a farm. Ooh, you're is right. the difference. Otherwise, you're a business owner. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So his claim to fame was he was said to have belonged to, quote, a line of original settlers that could be traced back to the Mayflower. Okay. Which is like, I guess, the Mayflower. Kind of cool. I haven't heard of that since I was in like fifth grade. The, what was it? The Mayflower, the, the, Pinta, the Pinta, and, and the, the Santa, Santa Maria. Maria. Yep, yeah, yep. there we go. That was the Pilgrim. <laughs> um, but like, why is that? That's your claim to fame your whole life? Like, yeah, well, I can trace my roots back to the Pilgrims. I can trace my roots back to the Huguenot Rebellion in France. Does that sound cooler? Kind of. Yeah, it yeah does, I right? didn't know you were French. I am. Le French. Le Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Winton then married Mildred Marie, who also apparently had a claim to fame. Her claim was she was part Jake, Native American. What's your claim to fame? I don't know. I hope it's better than I'm part Native American or I am related to a pilgrim. You're 0.01% Native American like some of our politicians. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, by the way, I'm pretty sure a lot of people could claim that Anything. they... Well, not it's, only that, I was going to say, like, with the pilgrims especially, like, yeah, yeah, like if uh, you live on the East Coast, you're probably descended from pilgrims. From somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Well, anyways, so that was Winton and and Mildred, great names. Uh, they welcomed their son on February 8th, 1931. His name was James Dean. None, the, none the, other. None the other than. Six years after his father had left farming to become a dental technician. See? Okay. Not everyone's a farmer, Chris. <laughs> well, he was. He was. And then he went on to bigger, brighter things as a dental technician. That's a, quite a transition. Yes. Uh, they moved uh, Hoeing to- dirt to hoeing teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, they moved to Santa Monica, California. The family I, hold did. On, hold on. What's that? I imagine being a dentist- in the early 20th century. It's not great. I think you just basically a pliers, right? Yeah, that's Like, the that main is your tool, tool is pliers. <laughs> you're just pulling So, really, teeth. it's probably not a lot different than farming in some way. No, yeah, you're just pulling weeds, pulling teeth, same yes. thing. Ugh. Six years after his father had left farming, I just said that. Several years later, James' mother died of uterine cancer when Dean was only nine years old. Ooh. Unable to care for his son, Dean's father sent him to live with his aunt and uncle back in Indiana. In his adolescence, Dean became friends with Reverend James DeWeird, a local Methodist pastor. The pastor had a formative impact on young Dean in more ways than one. 
He was said to influence his later interest in bullfighting, car racing, and theater. He also, unfortunately, was sexually abused by the pastor and had later confided to actress, actress Elizabeth Taylor about oh, that. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. Many say that this, combined with the abandonment by his father, may have contributed to his, his disaffected demeanor that he was so famous for. Why did you do that? I felt like it. I know one thing. I'm not going back in that zoo. Listen, uh, you can trust me, Jim. What's that from? That was from East of Eden, I believe. I have never seen a single... There's only three. Only three movies? There's only three movies that he did. East of Eden, The Giant, and Rebel Without a Cause. Actually, that one was from Rebel Without a Cause. I, I, I haven't seen any of them. I hadn't until I started doing this, and I watched a lot of them. Not like full, but just I kept going through clips to yeah. try to figure him out. It's interesting. What made him so good was like acting back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Was acting. Oh, over the top. It's it, like we're like in theater. Jake, like if Jake was an actor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Whereas he was very like subtle and like everything was kind of just mellow and cool. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what he became famous for. Gotcha. So he was actually a very good actor when you watch those movies. Regardless... After graduating high school and a stint at Santa Monica College, he enrolled in UCLA, majoring in drama. This enraged his father, who officially disowned him. Okay, dad, who already left me years earlier. Yeah, who killed? Screw you. Big deal. James eventually dropped out of UCLA after just one semester. Imagine being so angry that you disown. Yeah. Like, what is the, what is like the legal? Like, first you're already kind of abandoning him and like, well, I can't take care of your kid on a dental technician salary, so. What's the what's the process for disowning? You just go to the, the no, city hall and go. No, I don't know if that go. is like, uh, well, I, I suppose that'd be legal disowning. I think it was just like, you're not, you're my, not son. my son. Even though you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so James dropped out of UCLA then and after one semester decided to pursue acting full time. While struggling to gain roles in Hollywood, Dean worked as a parking lot attendant at CBS Studios where he met Rogers Brackett. Brackett? Rogers Brackett? Yeah. That's a guy's name. Okay. (laughs) Roger has a lot of brackets. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You can put shelves and stuff on. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. No. That is his name. Rogers with an S. Brackett. How would it feel if you were Jake's? You were always the pl- you were the plural everything, version of yourself. Everything is mine. That's yeah. Jake's. <laughs> You're the plural possessive version of yeah, yourself. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, great. Uh, Brackett was actually a director and became something of a mentor to Dean. He helped him later land his first starring role in a Broadway musical. And in 1951, following Brackett's advice, Dean moved to New York City. There, he worked as a stunt tester for the game show Beat the Clock but was subsequently fired for allegedly performing the tasks too quickly. This is the height beat of game the clock shows. Is brought to you by Sylvania. For half a century, a quality name in incandescent bulbs, fluorescent tubes and fixtures, photo lamps, Radio and television sets, radio and television tubes, and electronic devices. Yes, for homes, offices, schools, and factories, Sylvania. A member of the Phoenix Phoebus Group, where we conspire with every other two. America's number one clock watcher, Bud Collier. 
very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome once again to Beat the Clock, the show where you have the time of your life playing against time for big time prizes. You know what's, you know what's interesting? Throwback to our episode where we talk about the light bulb conspiracy. If you yeah. haven't listened yep. to that, go yeah. find it. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. And Sylvania was definitely part of that, I'm sure. Is completely, well, somewhat on topic, but completely off topic. <laughs> yeah. As Imagine having three channels. Yeah. And you yes. choose. And they go off the air at like 9 p.m. too. Yeah, just, just all right, done with programming yep, for the it's day. It's just the color bars. Yes. That's it. Well, no, it was just fuzz because it's all over the air. I don't think you even get color bars. You don't even, you just nothing. I just, just they just, just turn static, the antenna off. Just static. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's so crazy. Well, you're, you're going to watch this game show because that's just what you're going to do. Yes. But this was like the height of game shows in the early 50s. So it's basically like you, all these contestants. I mean, it's the formula hasn't really changed all that much on any game show. You're on the show to win money, and you have to go through, like, these weird tasks and stuff to, yeah. to win. And so they James' job was to basically, like, test out all these different games. Sure. But he was too good at it. He would win all the time, and they're like, well... Are these games good or bad? Or right, we don't, we really don't know, know because just he's some just sort of naturally savant? talented at it. You know what? The, the, the I'm sorry. The height of game show is not the 50s. <laughs> no, it probably It is Family not. Feud. Yes. Is the height of game shows. Family Feud is... Steve Harvey edition? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. <laughs> he makes that show. Yeah, Price is Right's okay. Did you, have you seen the documentary on the guy that beat yes. Price is Right? Yes. Highly recommend it. Phenomenal. It's on, it's on Netflix. They had to change the entire way the game is Yeah, structured. because the guy, like, figured it out. He, he memorized could, every price. Yeah, it's fun, just... It, that wow. is amazing. But anyways, back to James. Uh, yeah, James, I'm sorry, but you're just too good at this game, so we're going to have to let you go. Throughout this entire time, Dean had also become fully enamored in sports car racing and had become a regular spectator down at the local tracks. You know who else likes racing, Chris? The guys at Petrolbox. Yes. Petrolbox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully collect items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest gear in the industry. You know what's interesting is you always get something that you don't need in the box. Well, but here's but, what I like to hold say. Hold on. Yeah. But... I never need it right away. But you do eventually need it. But eventually I'm like, oh, I've got that thing from Petrobox, that cleaner or that tool or the whatever. Yeah, or like the stepped drill bits. Yep. Yeah. Oh, There's always something one. that you need. It's not something you need right now, but you will eventually use it, which yeah. is great. What I like to say is it's stuff I wouldn't necessarily normally buy at like the hardware store, but then I get to use it and I'm like, oh, this it's, is great. Yeah, yeah. I love it. For sure. Yeah, so there's two different levels of subscription to choose from. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com, and be sure to use our code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. All right, so Dean found other odd jobs in television, performing on many early 1950s shows, such as Craft Television Theater, Brought to you, apparently, by Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. Wonderful. He also appeared on a show called Robert Montgomery Presents and the United States Steel Hour. What? Which was the United States Steel Hour. It was an anthology series featuring dramatic performances sponsored by, US you guessed Steel. it, the U.S. Steel Industry. So strange. Another show Dean performed on was the General Electric Theater, brought to you by, of course, General Electric. I just love this golden era of TV where there weren't commercials. Every show was simply produced by a company. Sure. It's, it's very strange. It's like PBS now. 
Like if you watch like Nova or something, it's like brought to you by Coke Foundation or something. Yeah, but it wasn't called Coca-Cola's Nova. No, Coke, K-O-C-H, Coke, the trucking company. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just, it's kind of like PBS is now. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh, Dean's big break, however, came in 1953 when director Elia Kazan was looking for an actor to play an emotionally complex role for a screenwriter, Paul Osborne's adaptation of John Steinbeck's 1952 novel, East of Eden. It's the decade's most daring novel. Such startling characters. Such untamed emotions. Now it's the frankest motion picture ever made. The frankest? Frankest. Listen to that. Wow. The film was a massive hit. Actually, it, was, it was quite frank, actually. It was <laughs> frank. Yeah. Frank as hell. Because, like, like, a lot of these films were, like, very, go- very dramatic. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, oh my, clutch my pearls. Yes, yes. Just over quite the top. frank. Yes, over the top acting like you is what I was. I would have fit in perfectly. You would have absolutely. But, would, you know, my grandfather's great. name is Frank. And, I, he, and he is quite frank. Well, there you go. Yeah. I want, we should look up the etymology of that term frank yes like let me be frank with you like who was the original frank who was just kind of an asshole about everything (laughs) right he just laid it on the line and it was so he was like it was so frank yeah that that now everything you couldn't use the word blunt anymore you had to use the word frank because it is blunt but frank was so blunt that now it's frank all right you want to know yeah i do all right so in 1300 uh it means free liberal generous or outspoken from the old french franc Free, ah. not servile, without hindrance, exempt from, sincere, genuine, open, I gracious, it. generous. Okay. So it's it's a. It just means literally free. Like it's, yeah. Frank means you basically you're, it's blunt. Yes, right? exactly. I mean, that's that's a, how we use it. But I guess I could see how that comes ooh, from that. The origin of the ethnic name is uncertain. It traditionally is said to be from the old Germanic word Frankon or javelin or lance, their preferred weapon. Oh, that's cool. So basically, if you're too and frank, and that is with some, also frank. Right? Yeah. Like if you get stabbed by a lance, that's pretty frank it's of the pre- guy. It's, yeah, it's, yes. <laughs> Short for Frankfurter as well. Oh, and, well, there you go. And Franks and Beans in 1953. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Okay, well, that's timely here. Uh, the film was a massive hit, actually earning Dean a posthumous nomination for the 1956 Academy Awards Best Actor Award, which was the first ever posthumous nomination in Academy Awards history. Much of Dean's most remembered performances in the film were actually completely unscripted, including there's this big dance scene in the farm fields. He just kind of did it, and it was, like, great. And he had, like, this super dramatic scene where he's riding on top of a train boxcar, and he's, like, in the fetal position because he's so, like, distraught. None of that was ever written. Mm. It just goes to show how kind of talented and intuitive he was as an actor. So he was kind of like... Kind of a pioneer of Big time. of this type of acting. Exactly. Yeah. Dean quickly followed up on his role in Eden with a starring did you, role. Did you, sorry, did you dig into this enough to find out who else he inspired? Like if there was anybody that came after him that was kind of this, emulated this. this I think everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there wasn't like a, a single person who was like, oh yeah, he totally took on Dean's style. It was just so kind of revolutionary. You're like, oh wow. Yeah. That looks real. That's not over the top acting and like all his gesturing, like so much of it isn't spoken word when you're watching it, especially, um, in rebel without a cause. The whole thing is he's basically just this disaffected youth. Yeah. I'll talk about that in a minute, but his acting style, the whole time, none of it would have been written. It's, you can tell it's just like him 
kind of playing himself where it, it's just like the awkwardness of being a teenager where you're sure. either like leaning on things and if you watch the movie you'll know what i mean and you'll be like wow that actually is kind of genius how he portrayed that sure um he followed up his role in eden with this starring role as Jim Clark in Rebel Without a Cause. The film was iconic in its first ever accurate portrayal of teenage angst, dealing with tough themes such as juvenile delinquency. In fact, the film's release in the UK was X-rated. <laughs> Just because, like, a, a kid gets, like, killed in it, and another... Think about what's X-rated now. I know. You would have to have full... Anal penetration to have wow. something. Ex- I'm well, serious. Yeah. Like, just think about like what's, you're, you're what's right. rated R in a movie. You yeah. will see a penis in a rated R yeah, movie you're, now. You're, you're right. So you have to have like really lewd stuff to have something be NC-17. That, that was this then. It's, it's just a contrast in the last exactly. 70 years. James Dean was immortalized. In and his- I bet there was no swearing in the movie. Was there? Uh, there was a little bit. A little bit? A little bit. Ooh, I think that's also that's why That's pretty was risque. Like, yeah. It's, it's quite frank. It's, it's actually a great movie. I want to watch that entire movie. Because it is, it's really good. Frankly, I do too. Frankly. Uh, James Dean was immortalized in his role as Jim Spark, affectionately earning him the nickname of Jimmy Dean. Taste for yourself why Jimmy Dean is America's favorite sausage. I, I looked it up. By the way, there's no relation. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. because I'm what sure you there were of. girls that called him Jimmy, though. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. He was, he was prolific. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. He, yeah. Did he have any kids? No, he was 24 when he died. Yeah, but birth controller wasn't. True, true. No, what's interesting is he uh, he swung both ways, too. Oh, really? He was popular with everyone. I see. Yes. Uh, following Rebel Without a Cause, Dean wanted to avoid being typecast as a rebellious teenager like Cal Trask or Jim Stark, and hence took on the role as Jet Rink, a Texas ranch hand who strikes oil and becomes rich in Giant, which was posthumously released in 19. 19- 56. Those three films were forever immortalized James in cinema, but it's his interest off screen that made him such an interesting icon. How would you compare um, him being, because he always, who's Captain Cool? Who's Mr. Cool? Yeah, the king of cool is Steve McQueen. How do you- there, there are a lot of uh, parallels for sure. I think <sighs> James, because James Steve- is because he was so young. Right? right. That's what makes it different in my mind. And he didn't do his, his breadth of work isn't as big because he right. didn't survive long enough. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in 1954, Dean became interested in pursuing his passion in racing. He purchased various vehicles after filming East of Eden and including, I'm going to redo that and clear my throat. Damn you. <clears> throat> he purchased various vehicles after and remember filming. To, remember to stay slow. Yes. Because as, as the... You're right, it's going. As the episode goes on, yeah. you're, you're very fast. <laughs> he purchased various vehicles after filming East of Eden, including a Triumph Tiger T110 and a Porsche 356. Just before filming began on Rebel Without a Cause, he, complete, he competed in his first professional event at the Palm Springs Road Races in California on March 26, 1955. Dean achieved first place in the novice class and second place in the main event. His racing continued in Bakersfield a month later, where he finished first in his class and third overall. It's, it's I think of, uh, so he bought a 356 brand new probably. Yep. Now buying like a Porsche or any sports car, you see them, you I don't even blink. 
<laughs> it doesn't even cross my mind. I go, oh, there, there's a giant fat sports touring car, right? Yeah. It doesn't. So it doesn't even register well, with think me. Think of how it takes for a car for for a car to register with me. It has to have a real sense to it. It has to really impact. It has to be really different. Here's the but, other thing. But, yes, but back then, different. but right. back then. These were so different. Very uncommon. Very like rare. Most people don't even know what a Porsche is back in the 50s. And you have to keep in mind what just got done, you know, 10 years earlier. Oh, right. World War II. So with German cars. The Nazis. Yes, they were very rare. Very, yeah. like, people didn't, like, why are you driving that German car? Yes, what do exactly. you, you know, like, what is this? Yeah. It's very, very unique and special. And, and the choice to buy something like a 356 back then was a distinct choice. Yes. And it's far different than choosing You're a right. sports car today. It's, Very it's, much so. It's, it's much different. Yeah. James would go on to become a notable name on the amateur racing circuit, kind of paralleling his popularity on screen. Dean had actually hoped to compete in the Indianapolis 500, but his filming schedule made it impossible. So, I, like, you have to qualify for the Indy 500, right? Right. So, apparently, though, he was that good where he was considering it which is very interesting. James once was quoted as saying... Easier to be good back then. True? I think. I think less, it was... Less I, competition? Less competition. The The cars weren't as fast. They weren't as good easier as they to, are. Yeah. yeah. It didn't take right. as much money. You know, it was You're a little right. easier right. to There's get into. a lot. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is interesting. James was once quoted as saying, racing is the only time I feel whole. Dean's final race occurred in Santa Barbara on Memorial Day. May 30th, 1955. However, he was unable to finish the competition when his 356 blew a piston. Okay. Is, yeah, pushing that thing, I guess. How do you blow a piston? I like, don't know. I don't think that's the correct. It's, I'm sure it's not. I, like blowing a, I think that just means you blew up your motor and your crankcase right. shot the piston that's, out the side. That is what I'm yeah. kind of anticipating. Uh, his brief racing career was then put on hold when Warner Brothers barred him from all racing during production of The Giant. They're basically like, hey, look, we know you're doing all this racing on the side, but we don't want production to be stopped if you get injured or something. Right. Dean had finished shooting his scenes and the sure movie it was in was, his contract. Oh, big time. Yeah. It was, yeah. So as soon as Dean finished shooting the scenes for the movie and it was in post-production, he decided to get back on the track. With his newfound wealth from his latest film, and in anticipation of returning to SCCA competition, Dean traded in his 356 for a brand new Porsche 550 Spider on September 21st, 1955 at Competition Motors in Hollywood. That thing is basically the Carrera GT of its time. Chris, I never realized just how special these cars were. Well, we had the the best... So we had an yes, episode yes. where we so did the best four-cylinder engines of all here. time. Yes, And there is a... We, we the Furman 4Cam was built for this car. It is a very special. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and find it. Best four-cylinder engines of all time. We'd have an interview and, and talk all about that motor because it's, it's our awesome. number one. Yes. of the best four-cylinder engines of all time. It's extremely special. Yeah, let me tell you unique. how how just intricate that thing is. First of all, Porsche produced only 90 550 Spiders from 1953 to 56. There's only 90 that ever existed. Wow. The car featured a steel tube-frame chassis and all-aluminum body panels. The first 550s produced actually used the 356's previous Volkswagen Drive Flat 4. Do you know how much these things cost? New? MSRP? Uh, no, I don't. I'm going to find out while you're You talking. should do that. Yeah, even though this engine produced only 70 horsepower, the first prototype 550 won its first race on the famed Nürburgring, and then it, along with a second example, Type 550 scored a 1-2 finish in its class at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. 
Preceding their initial success, Porsche engineers set about improving the car. And since the Percherat engine was basically just a tweaked Volkswagen power plant, Porsche commissioned famous Ernst Furman to draw up a completely new power plant more befitting of a Le Mans winner. I can't find it. That's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing probably eight to eight eight thousand dollars is my guess. Yeah, you know that just which that really doesn't mean anything to me. Like, how much was the average income at that time? That's, probably eight thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. like a year's so, salary for most people. Probably. Yeah, it's it's very expensive. Yeah. Uh, so when Ernst Furman put his pencil to paper, because that's how you did it back then, the result was the legendary Type Five Four Seven Four Cam engine. As Chris said, we talked about this on our best four cylinders ever produced. This incredibly complicated roller bearing equipped quad cam engine took a skilled mechanic 120 hours to assemble with timing alone taking 8 to 15 hours with this new it's high revving gear driven and it's all and, gear yes and, yeah uh with this new high revving four cylinder the 550 quickly establishes dominance in the 1.1 and 1.5 liter classes on racetracks around the world i didn't realize how small displacement this thing is yeah a 1.1 liter version and a 1.5 liter yeah, version it revs though yeah. It's supposed to, anyway. Well, yeah, it, they, they do. <laughs> a lot of people lug them around, and that's what ruins the motors. Oh, interesting. Because they're too scared to drive them. Yeah. Because the motors are like $250,000. Yes. They're very expensive. Yes. <laughs> uh, and if you blow it up, you your repair bill is probably like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, and if you can find something, the guy that, I can't think of his name, the guy that originally was the dude that built all these yeah. for people, yep. he died. That's right. So there's very few people that know how to know do anything how to with time these. them. Yep. Yeah. I know that uh, Aaron Hatz, our friend from Flat Six, if a couple of people have asked him to do it, and he's like, yeah, I don't think so. I would, I would kind of want to try. Oh, you couldn't. You just, you just don't have the tools. It's, there's a lot of specialty yeah. tools and measurement tools. And if anybody could do it, I think Aaron could because he's very neurotic about details. Meticulous, and yeah. he doesn't want to do it either because it's just the, the risk is so high if you mess something I suppose, up. Yeah. And you're liable for that. Whew, no thanks. Yeah. Well, let's take a moment here to talk about our sponsor, Oberk Car Care. Have you ever wanted to polish or detail your vehicle? You're, you, have you ever wanted to polish or detail your Mercedes that has been sitting around <laughs> for 30 years? I saw this. So you used Oberk it, and went to town on the Mercedes. Yeah, I, I yes, I did. And it's actually shiny. I it, saw that. It looks really good. It does look pretty good. If you get close, you can see there's just scratches throughout the paint. Right. It's like which, somebody used steel wool to clean it off or something. Oh, that's but not I, good. But I went through it with uh, cleaner wax, and then I used, like, step one. Yep. Because okay, I don't want to overdo it, because I want it to still look kind of <laughs> shitty at you the just, same time. You just wanted it not to be gray. You well, the problem is, is that the, the paint had absorbed so much dirt. Oh. Like, if you touched it, you permanently stained it with your finger, because it was just such a flat, porous oh, really? surface. So I, now that I polished it with the with the Oberk, it's much better, and you can actually touch the car without staining it. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. It works really well. It's it's easy to use. Yep. It's you know a two step process. Highly recommend giving it a shot. I think we have a, a coupon code. We do. Yeah, you can get twenty percent off your order at oberkcarcare.com when you use the code Overcrest. I have to polish the glass too. Have you ever polished glass? No. How do you do that? I ordered a kit on their recommendation because they don't Oberk doesn't have anything. Okay. But they said I was supposed to try this product or whatever to try with a, like a rayon polishing pad because the the windshield on the Mercedes is destroyed it's not even great to drive at night it looks like oh. you've got vaseline on your glasses it's oh just, good it's, so i'm gonna try and polish it but i didn't Oberk, know you could even do that i didn't either they're great guys highly highly recommend they've been supporting the show for forever supporting overcrest please yeah. head over to their website use the coupon code 
Overcrest. Overcrest. Yeah, very easy <laughs> to remember. How long have we been doing this, Chris? Yeah. What is the code? It's always yeah. Overcrest. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Removes the guesswork from polishing and detailing, and it does kind of bridge the gap between enthusiasts and professional-grade products. We Check all use detailing products. You're right. We all use them. We all polish stuff. It seems like buy, every Buy every stuff month. from the people that support stuff you want. Yeah, and I was going to say, it seems like every month they're releasing another product, yeah. too. They're, they're, they're really growing. They're a local company. Yep. You know, it's it, they're they're fantastic. Head over there and, and check them out and order stuff from them. Don't buy stuff from people that are making stuff in other countries and China and stuff. It's just It's local. It's here. They're, they they yeah. support the show. They come on the rally. They You know, they're, they're real guys, and it highly recommend. Absolutely. Do it up. All right, let's get back to it. As soon as James Dean drove his new 550 off the lot, he called up George Barris of movie car fame to customize the Porsche. Ooh. So George Barris did like the original Batmobile and that sort of stuff. He gave it a tartan upholstered seats, two red stripes over the rear wheels, and painted the number 130 on its doors, hood, and deck lid. What was 130? Was there anything, any significance Not that, that I could find that. Okay. What is significant, though, is the name Little Bastard was later painted on the rear deck lid by master pinstriper Dean Jeffries. Well, he's a little, I mean, he got disowned, so... He's kind of a little bastard well, himself. Well, exactly. The name was somewhat of a running joke, first coined by Bill Hickman, who was Dean's stuntman and dialogue coach on the set of The Giant, which I don't know how that's really a joke. I guess he had to be there. But yeah, it was in, in reference to James himself. Yep. Uh, being a stuntman, Bill was naturally something of a car guy himself and offered to help Dean prep the car for its inaugural event, the Salinas Sports Car Race. Once the car was subsequently outfitted, the original plan was to trailer the 550 to the event, but Dean's mechanic, Rolf Wutherlich, suggested Dean should drive it to Selena's to break in the engine and get used to the way it drove. It's a brand new car. You have to kind of break it in, right? Right. Which, by the way, if you're a Porsche specialist specializing in the fairly rare-for-the-time German manufacturer, how great is the name Rolf Wutherlich? Very good. Very good name. Really appropriate. I trust that guy. I 100%. Yeah. I did look into it after the fact. He was actually from the Porsche factory. Of course. Yes. Uh, nevertheless, on that Friday, Wutherlich rode next to Dean in the 550 with Bill Hickman following behind with his truck and trailer. Did you know that you could buy James Dean's Porsche 550 Spider as an NFT? Quote, you can only do so much with a physical car, but as an NFT, you can take it anywhere you want. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, make it stop. <laughs> I, I, I know we've talked about it before. I do not get NFTs. It, in this, I get the concept. I don't want to get into it's it too much right so now. It's so dumb. This is dumb. This is the bad I version. I don't think it's going to take off. Not this version of it. I know some of it is, but it's so not dumb. This. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. All right. So imagine, was- <laughs> buying this MT- imagine buying this NFT and your computer crashes. Yeah. Yeah, just the curse. The curse all goes all the way into your computer. And well, just- yes. We'll get to the curse here. Good point. I like that. Uh, it wasn't long before the convoy was pulled over for speeding and issued tickets. Uh, excuse me, sir. Do you know how fast you were going? Hey, wait. Aren't you that guy, James Dean, the rebel without a cause? Okay, yeah, the speeding makes sense now. Anyways, here's your ticket. <laughs> All right. So Dean continued to ring out the Furman engine as he barreled down Route 46 at an estimated 85 miles per hour. The time was 5.45 p.m., as it was the end of September, the sun was already low on the horizon, and the silver little Porsche must have been hard to see in the glare as it raced towards the intersection. Donald Turnupspeed was a 23-year-old Navy veteran. Excuse student. me? Donald, Donald Turnupspeed. Yes, his last name is Turnupspeed. Like a turnip that's very fast. Or he's turning up the speed. Nope, I like to think of the vegetable that is speedy. Okay. 
<laughs> Anyways, he was a Navy veteran and student at California Polytechnic State University, driving his Ford Tudor. He was making a left onto Route 41 when the unseen impact of the 550 Spider sent the Ford skidding almost 40 feet down the road. The, the Tudor skidded 40 feet down the yes. road? Yes. Okay. Dean's mechanic, Rolf Rutherlich, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and with the low dash of the 550, the impact ejected him from the car over Donald's Ford. James Dean wasn't so lucky. The impact crushed the aluminum roadster with Dean trapped inside. It went on to roll several times end over end and land in the opposite ditch. Reports say that James died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, but I'd like to think it happened in an instant. I would think so. Dean was pronounced dead on arrival at the Peso Robles War Memorial Hospital at 6.20 p.m. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just received a special news bulletin. One of Hollywood's brightest young stars was killed early this evening along California State Highway 466. The head-on collision took the life of James Dean. Hmm. Famed contemporary Humphrey Bogart had this to say about Dean's death. Quote, Dean died at just the right time. He left behind a legend. If he had lived, he'd never have been able to live up to his own publicity. And as harsh as it sounds, he may have been right. Dean himself was famously quoted as saying, What better way to die? It's fast, and it's clean, and you go out in a blaze of glory. Hmm. Ironically... But, but maybe at like 75 years old. Yeah, not 24. Yeah. Ironically, while filming The Giant, Dean filmed the following PSA. Speaking of racing, have you ever been in a drag race? Are you kidding me? I just thought I'd ask. No, gym races in the tradition, you might say. Real racing cars, real tracks. How fast will your car go? Oh, an honest miles an hour. Clocked, it'd run about 106, 7. You've won a few races, haven't you? Oh, one or two. Where? Well, I showed pretty good at Palm Springs. I ran a Bakersfield. Jimmy, we probably have a great many young people watching our show tonight, and for their benefit, I'd like your opinion about fast driving on the highway. Do you think it's a good idea? A good point. I, uh, I used to fly around quite a bit, you know. I took a lot of unnecessary chances on the highways. And I started racing, and uh, now I drive on the highways, I'm uh, extra cautious, because you know, no one knows what they're doing half the time. You don't know what this guy's going to do with that one. On a track, there are a lot of men who spend a lot of time developing rules and uh, ways of safety. And uh, I find myself being very cautious on the highway. I don't have the urge to, to speed on the highway. People say racing is dangerous, but I'll take my chances on the track any day than on a highway. Well, Gig, I think I'd better take off. Oh, wait a minute, Jimmy. Um, one more question. Do you have any special advice for the young people who drive? Take it easy driving. The life you might say might be mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How, like, chilling is that? Yeah, for sure. It's just... The inter- uh, here's the thing. You don't have to be going that fast in a 550 Spider to die. No. No, the thing was a tin can. <laughs> I mean, if he was going 60 and hit that Tudor, he's it dead. It still would have yeah. been so done. How, do they know how fast they estimate he was going? 85. 85, 90. Okay, that's not even that crazy. 
No, it's in a desert highway. Yeah. So the intersection of State Route 46 and State Route 41, where James Dean died, was renamed James Dean Memorial Junction. However, the actual accident location is approximately 100 feet to the south due to road realignment. So while the world mourned the young star, the story is far from over. What happened to the guy that killed him? Did he survive? He did. He had basically no injuries, and the world kind of hated him. Yeah, I'm sure that was tough to live with. Yeah. There was a really cool, as I was doing a lot of research, there was this really cool short produced by some um, production company where it was Donald Turnup Speed going back to the intersection, and he's like 80 years old, and James Dean comes in as a ghost with his car and sits down, and they have this conversation. Oh, weird. It was really interesting and good, actually. Like, Turnup Speed apologized to Dean, and Dean's like, I should apologize to you. My life ended but so did yours, or something like that. Because yeah, apparently it was bad yeah. for this guy. Um, yeah, so while the world mourned the young star, the story is far from over. You see, the circumstances surrounding the 550 are downright spooky. Many claim the car itself was cursed. Before the accident, after getting the car painted, Dean met actor Alec Guinness, a.k.a. Obi-Wan Kenobi, what? outside of a restaurant. Ben Kenobi? Boy, am I glad to see you. The gentleman wastes enough to be traveled lightly. The original Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah. Okay. Obi-Wan, I mean Alec, took one look at Dean's 550 Spider and told him that the car had a sinister appearance. He told Dean, quote, If you get in that car, you will be found dead in it by this time next week. Seven days later, Dean had his accident. <laughs> I, I had, I had to. <laughs> the curse of Little Bastard 550 only gets weirder from there. Various accounts claim that anybody associated with the car is at risk. Has Alec ever said anything? Did he ever, like, comment no. on, like, Not no. that I found. No. Okay. Because, like, you don't want to be like, yeah, I was right. <laughs> yeah. Or that, yeah, he cursed him somehow. I wonder if he walks around like people he doesn't like being like, that guy's going to be dead next week. And, and just, just, like, all of a sudden, just like hoping boom. that the guy, to, just like at Mortal Enemies or yeah. like some producer that slighted him, he's like, next week by this time. Next yeah, but week he, by was, time. he was like friends with Dean. I know. Yeah, well. Various accounts claim that anybody associated with the car is at risk of being harmed. While Dean's mechanic, Rolf Wutherlich, survived the accident with a broken jaw and hip, he, too, would be involved in a crash in his own vehicle only a few years later. Meanwhile, George Barris, who customized the 550 originally, bought the wrecked remains of Little Bastard for 2500 bucks to salvage for parts. While unloading the car from the trailer, the car slipped and broke both of his mechanic's legs. Jesus. Barris went on to sell usable parts of the wreck. The engine was put into, oddly enough, a Lotus 9 race car. And the transaxle was sold to one Troy Lee McHenry for use in his Porsche race car. As fate would have it, both men had entered the same race and both crashed. Shrid was seriously injured when his car suddenly locked up and rolled over while going into a turn. Troy Lee's Porsche went on to hit the only tree on the racetrack <laughs> in the very first lap of the 1956 Pomona sports car races, killing him instantly. Otherwise known as Panoma. But go ahead. Pomona. Pomona. 
Pamana. <laughs> in light of all these events, Barris had become understandably wary of the little bastard remains, though he did proceed to sell the two tires from the car, which had been unscathed in the accident. However, soon after he sold them, the otherwise new tires simultaneously blew out, causing the new owner's car to run off the road. Both of the tires blew at the same time. That's, I mean. Yeah. 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 Barris had kept the remaining wreckage in his shop where it caught the attention of two would-be thieves. One of the thieves' arms was sliced open trying to steal the steering wheel, while the other was injured trying to remove the blood-stained tartan seats. Due to all the incidents involving the little bastard, Barris decided to hide the car, but was convinced by the California Highway Patrol to lend the cursed heap to the highway safety exhibit. They want to show it off. Everyone slow down. Hey, this is what's going to happen to you. Yes. But in one of the strangest incidents surrounding the car, the garage that housed the exhibit mysteriously caught fire and burned to the ground. Everything in the garage was completely destroyed. Charred remains, except for the little bastard, which was completely untouched by the fire. What? (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. The next exhibit at a local high school ended abruptly when the car, who was like bolted and affixed to a display, mysteriously fell and crushed a nearby student, shattering their hip. The curse continued when the little bastard was being transported and the truck carrying the car lost control. Get this. The driver of the truck fell out of the cab while it was still moving. The wrecked 550 then dislodged from the flatbed and landed on the driver on the road, crushing him. Dead. Yep. The car goes out of control. Somehow you bail out and the car falls on top of you. And then Stephen King found all out about all of this and wrote Christine. Yeah, Christine was actually based on a different car. I know, but the concept of the killer yes, car is... exactly. A- no, but did you know Christine was based off of like a real event, this car? Oh, no, I didn't. It's a Ford that somehow led to like multiple murder suicides with all its owners. Ooh. Yeah, that might be another story. Yeah. After this, the car fell off two more transport trucks while traveling on the freeway. Stop transporting me! Right? Leave me alone! Either no one knows how to use load binders and straps, or this thing really was cursed. Finally, the Porsche is rumored to have disappeared from a sealed boxcar in 1960 while en route from Miami to Los Angeles. Some believe that Barris, ever the showman, fabricated that story as a way of keeping the car's mystique alive. He still has it somewhere. However, is Barris alive? I don't know. Mm, I'll look up. But get this. In 2005, collectors offered a million-dollar reward for information of the whereabouts of the wreckage of the little bastard, and no one came forward. So if he had it somewhere tucked away in a basement, don't you think he'd be like, for a million, here it is. Right. That well, is I mean, some, some people some just people don't need just, money. Yeah, you're right. He, he's, he passed away in 2015. Okay. So... It was in 2005 when they offered a million. So, yeah. That isn't to say that every part of the car has gone missing, though. Remember Troy Lee McHenry, who bought that car's transaxle? Well, after... That was recently, right? Well, yeah, I'm going to get to that. Oh, okay. But this was the guy who bought the transaxle right away and and then crashed into the tree. Right. Yes. After McHenry's death, his wife sold his cars and parts to a Piedmont-based Porsche collector named Jim Barrington. 
The transaxle traded hands a few more times before popping up on eBay just last year. At the time of auction, classic car authenticator Miles Collier was skeptical that it had much value. Quote, aside from its identity as a useful spare transactional for a 550 Spider, which is worth about 15 grand on its own without the Dean connection, it has no significance at all other than its connection to James Dean. That seems pretty significant, though. It was. On May 21st, 2021, it sold for $382,000. What do you do? Do you make a coffee table out of it, or what do you do? No. It was purchased by the Haunted Museum in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Where you can now go buy a ticket to see it. No, thanks. <laughs> right? No, I, I'm, I'm not going no, to see it. No, <laughs> no. It's going to fall off the pedestal again. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting for the next headline where someone in Vegas- I wouldn't even FaceTime someone. You know there's going to be a headline where someone in Vegas is reported to have been maimed by the damn thing. Nope. Yeah. Regardless of whether you believe in the curse of the little bastard, it's hard to ignore its lore. The 550 Spider and James Dean will forever be linked as icons of a bygone era. It's, it's, we don't get stories like this anymore. I don't know what's (laughs) like, why isn't there any like mystery in the world? I don't know. I think, you know, there's a saying about how time needs to go by before a good story is made. That's true. That's true. I mean, it took a lot. How many took 60 years, 70 years for this story to come to the point where it is today. Right. You know, I mean, it's otherwise it's just a newspaper article about somebody dying. Exactly. So the stories of today are still being written. Great job, Jake. I had fun. And uh, that's all we have time for for today. Yeah. I just want to remind everyone this is being released Earlier than you're hearing it now for our Patreon Drivers Club members. Yes, absolutely. Putting pressure on me to edit this right now. I like that. That's that's wonderful. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So head over to overcrestproductions.com. Click on the little link that says Drivers Club. And for as little as $5 a month, you can support the show, get exclusive content, get early releases. Early access to merch, which has been been ordered. Yeah. It has been ordered. (laughs) Yes. It's been a long time coming, and it's... We're really excited. Yeah, so everybody that's a Drivers Club member is going to have early access to that. And there's not, I mean, it's limited stuff. So if it sold, yeah. sells out and you're not a member, too bad. Exactly. You, know, you, you missed the boat. All right, guys, we will see you next week. And I will leave you with this classic song by the Eagles, James Dean. Take care.